0: Hello, and welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week, we are talking glass. Glass. And we are so excited to be
1: back. I know. Honestly, it's only been two weeks that you guys haven't had an episode. We haven't been down here in over a month. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We we banked the last two episodes, and then we just hadn't had the chance since we've been back in the same place together to go see another movie together. Been
0: traveling Uh, the world. Also,
1: January and February are typically like pretty dry months for movies, so like there just hasn't been anything out that we were just like raring to see.
0: Yeah, well, and it's tough too. So like, we really um, we did a drive during the holidays. There's a really good peak time during the holidays to see a lot of movies and then my screeners came quite late yeah they did so we're still um i did vote for the sag awards um and we're still kind of catching up on a lot of films like that so um and um we i also we have a new segment coming up which i'm excited to also get recorded um just on a plane so stay tuned um and yeah, so uh, I think this movie is apropos for us to to come back on because we are quite the M. Night Shyamalan apologist.
1: Apologist is a very appropriate word.
0: Yes, um, we have we stuck with him till the bitter end, knowing his his flaws. <laughs> we
1: we made it through that like three run period of like Lady in the Water, The Happening, and Last Airbender. Yes, I, I've never seen After Earth. Uh, oh,
0: I didn't see After Earth either. I
1: listened to the How Did This Get Made on it, and I'm just like,
0: all right, that that all
1: makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: so, our traditional housekeeping, our drink of the podcast is a purple drink. Yes. In it, honor of Mr. Glass.
1: Yeah, uh, because Mr. Glass's color is purple. Yes. Uh, which is actually just Samuel L. Jackson's favorite color. You know that's why he has a purple lightsaber in the Star Wars prequels, right? No idea. Yeah.
0: That's his favorite color. Yep. Yeah. You know, our studio is blurple.
1: Yeah, it depends on the light. Some places it's like really rich blue, and some places it looks kind of purple. It it tends to photograph kind of purple.
0: It does photograph purple. Um, I feel like we'll have to do... So we're finishing the studio, everyone, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be a little bit more modern. And... The dog of the podcast will probably not be really a thing once we get the new space. Yeah,
1: um, the the current plan, and you know, it all depends on how easily this is able to get done, and even once they build it, I still have to do a lot of setting up myself, but we're building a really big vocal booth. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be big enough for us to put a couple of chairs in and a couple of mic stands and uh, record like the professional big boys and girls.
0: I know. We're going
1: to lose a little bit of this like DIY homemade type of feel.
0: Which I don't think is a bad thing.
1: No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, right now my studio is basically just a big rectangle, so it's comfortable, but that for you acoustic geeks out there, that's terrible for (laughs) like reflections and stuff, and... I was talking to a friend of, friend of ours who, he just listened to Incredibles too, and my response was, oh, that's a rough one. He's just like, no, listen, there were audio issues, but, like, the episode itself was really good. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm just gonna tell myself that's the way most people think of it.
0: Oh, fair enough.
1: But yeah, we didn't actually say what the drink was, we just said purple drink.
0: It is purple.
1: Right, it's, uh, it's the Th- Four Buck Chuck from Trader Joe's. Four
0: Buck Chuck. Um, the
1: organic Charles Shaw.
0: Yes, although we're not supposed to say labels
1: that's right. you know what I was actually looking this up so oh. and this may be something that we do uh, for future episodes because you had always talked about like playing the trailer playing parts of the music and stuff like that yeah and my response was always well I don't know what the legalities are of that yeah turns out for review and satire purposes the rules are very lax
0: Boom! so I just want I just want booze companies to fund us yeah. And MedMen.
1: Can Can you imagine if we? Well, we can't do MedMen because that's not legal in Georgia yet. We're
0: working on it.
1: Uh, Listen to
0: Thug Kitchen, everybody. Listen to Forked Up, and you'll know what we're talking about.
1: Yeah. Uh, and but you know if Chuck, if Trader Joe's and Chuck Shaw wanted to uh, sponsor our podcast, we would just move it to the Chuck Shaw Hour instead of oh, Are you of kidding me? Are you
0: kidding me? Everything would be Chuck Shaw. <laughs>
1: We we build a wine cellar in our house, and we're like, hmm, "Would you like to come see our collection of Charles Shaw?" <laughs> oh, oh, you're not impressed by the three dollar bottle? Have I shown you the four dollar organic? We just call it Shaw. It's better
0: on the sulfites. So, to it being a new year and back in the studio, clink clink. So, um, uh, and speaking of the dog of the podcast earlier, no dog of the podcast. Right. Char- it's actually really beautiful outside. Yeah,
1: Charlie did come down here to see what was going on, uh, and then he immediately wanted to go outside. Yeah. He saw what was going on and said, veto. Yeah, he he's like, oh, you guys are boring when you sit there. Stop <laughs> being boring when you sit there.
0: I'm surprised I don't have a Madison uh, in my lap right now. Jordan's finishing um, a film right now, and I came down to listen to the music and it, kind of the edit where it is, and I had the picopotamus in my lap the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's toasty, and we'll say.
1: Yeah, she she very much did she was like play it again cuz she did not want to get up.
0: No. Yeah. Um so, as you can see, we are very thrilled to be back and talking to you all, um, and what's really fun, too, is we are recording this, and this will be released on Valentine's Day. That's right. So we had a date, and this will get released on Valentine's, so um, I hope uh, you and your platonic to lovely date have a wonderful date night, and if you happen to go see Glass, hopefully you're listening to us. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I have a hard time thinking that, like, let's say you go on a date to the movies on Valentine's Day, right? Yes. Then you go see Glass, because you both are into the same thing, right? Totally. I highly doubt that they're gonna come straight home and listen to the podcast.
0: Okay, touche. Listen to us on Friday.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we we all know what Valentine's Day night is actually for.
0: It's just a lot of pressure. Yeah. Take the pressure off yourself, everyone. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'm I'm a Valentine's Day baby. <laughs> <laughs> I've come to terms with that.
0: And now let's talk about M. Night Shyamalan's glass.
1: I'm not finished talking about my conception, thank you.
0: <laughs> you can do that on your time. You can do that during the break.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no commercial break. We're just going to regale you with a story.
0: <laughs> Heavens. Um, okay, so what are we going to rate this in?
1: Uh, you know what, in honor of Unbreakable, let's do glass canes. Ooh, okay. Yeah. How many glass canes would you give this? I'm gonna give it a th- th- three. I'm going straight three, two. Okay. So, oh,
0: I expected you to give it higher. No, well, here's- I expected three and a half.
1: I was thinking three and a quarter for a while. Oh, okay. But here's what I started thinking of. Okay. And not too spoilery, this movie has like three different endings.
0: True, um, and if any of you are well acquainted with the Shyamalan-esque experience, there's a quote, quote, you're mm-hmm. doing the biggest air quotes you've ever seen. Right. There's always a twist. Mm-hmm. So this quote twist, um, there's twists in this. However, I wouldn't say they're the most like, <gasps> like I was surprised, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Village by now. Uh I thought that was a good twist.
1: Yeah, I I think we were the right age for that twist. I think that if we had seen that movie, if we would seen that movie when it first came out and we were older, but we were still like juniors in high school, something like that.
0: Something like that.
1: Yeah, so we were the right age for that twist. I
0: will say my dad ruined Sixth Sense. Oh yeah? Yes. Again, spoiler alert. Which, if you want to uh, hear a great podcast on the Sixth Sense, um, the AFI Top 100 Unspooled, uh, Unspooled,
1: yeah, with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson. Yeah,
0: we talk about that podcast. I think a lot here. Yeah.
1: And Amy Nicholson's actually pretty responsive on Twitter too. There have been there have been a few times where I've where I'll you know tweet at her being like like the other day I tweeted at her saying I've been re-listening to Unspooled and re-watching all the Stanley Kubrick movies. Here are my thoughts, and then she was like you know, she's pretty responsive to that. So Amy Nicholson is super cool. So
0: Amy Nicholson, we love their look on Sixth Sense, but my dad, we were even younger when Sixth Sense came out, and my dad was sitting in the living room watching it, because I didn't grow up going to the movie theater. Mm -hmm. That wasn't until high school, um, because I competed in sports every weekend, and I uh, traveled a lot for uh, my sport. So um, I didn't really get a lot of time for, like, with the movies and sleepovers because I was busy (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh, my sleepovers were in hotel rooms while on the horse show circuit Um, and we're sitting there and my dad goes he's dead and my mom and I were like what and he's like Bruce Willis he's dead
1: (laughs) so he figured it out or had he already seen it
0: figured it out he does that all the time he just calls movies out and you're like well
1: so you got the drive for wanting to do that from your dad, but you didn't get the uh hit to miss ratio from your dad.
0: I will tell you though, I have been on the I have been on on target
1: lately. You you have been. Yes. I have been
0: on it. Now, but it doesn't count when I'm out loud trying to be like figuring it out. Yeah. So I will, that doesn't that doesn't
1: count. Sometimes you are just thinking out loud, but it sounds like you're conjecturing. I'm not. And I'm you're just ju- and you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall.
0: <laughs> yes. And it's not cooked yet and I know that.
1: And like there's no there's no bad ideas in brainstorming, but when you don't prepare the other person for that, uh, it just sounds like you're like, what did you just guess? <laughs> yeah. Leave me alone, lemon. All right. um, uh, back to glass.
0: Back to glass. So, so here's
1: here's the way I was thinking about it. I'm listening. Uh, so I'm ready. so at times I wanted to go a little higher. But there were times, especially towards the end, where I was like, no, I don't know if this one's going to crack three stars. So I'm thinking it kind of like when you were at the gym, we were at the gym yesterday, and you were in the uh, balancing ball while you were uh, curling. the BOSU. Yeah, whatever that's called. Uh, The half ball. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you were teetering back and forth because you're trying to keep your balance. And that's kind of where I see this, is that the movie is squarely on, like, three stars. There were moments of it where it went a little higher, and there were moments of it where it went a little lower. So I'm just... I'm just going right on the middle.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I'm giving it three because this movie, and now being older, mm-hmm. having seen a lot of Shyamalan films, uh, this one was made it very apparent how lazy of a writer he is. Yes. It was, it was just incredibly lazy, and to me, this felt like X-Men First Class. You know, we've got yeah. James McAvoy as well, but uh-huh. it felt like First Class, and- It felt like it didn't even, it decided not to go as far.
1: Well, and like, X Men First Class is actually a pretty legitimately good movie. I like First Class. And it's very well written, and I have a hard time saying that because it was written by Brian Singer. I know. I have very complicated feelings on Brian Singer. Mostly, I love the usual suspects, but dude's a pedophile.
0: I know. The usual suspects is ruined for a little while.
1: Yeah. It's a. I I haven't thrown it out yet, but I'm not revisiting it anytime soon. No,
0: it's brilliant. And uh, we talk about often how do you separate art from the human, and I think sometimes you can't. I, I think I think sometimes you can't, um, and maybe one day we'll get go back to the usual suspects once everybody has some justice and some mm-hmm. humble pie thrown at them, and then maybe we'll think about that.
1: But back to Glass. Yeah, um,
0: I think this movie was just it felt. I don't know. It was very insular in well, its scope.
1: So here's one thing as I was doing my IMDb and things yeah. like that. Uh, so Split was released this time uh, in January, like mid to late January 2017. Was it that soon? Uh-huh. Wow. Well, well so yeah. and the, But they started filming Glass on October in October of
0: 2017.
1: Oh, okay. So... He cranked that script out like crazy. Yeah. And you and you know not a lot of time was spent in the actual writing portion of it because A, they had to get, you know, they had to get the gang back together. And B, there were a lot of complications. So Split was the it was like the backdoor sequel to Unbreakable, right? Right. Um, but it wasn't done by Touchstone, who did Unbreakable. So Shyamalan had to go to Disney and be and be like, look, I'm doing this movie with Universal. Uh it's gonna end up being a sequel to Unbreakable. Is there any kind of deal we can work out to where I can put this character, David Dunn, in this movie? And they basically just had a gentleman's agreement of like, listen, go on ahead and do that. We're not gonna charge you guys anything because this is a low budget movie. Well, and it's but
0: his character. Well, I mean, but
1: he. But the studio still owns the rights. No, totally. But but so so they were basically said, if you end up doing a sequel to this, you have to bring us in on it. And that's, that's the thing. So they had to sort out all the legalities and all that stuff. Okay. So it's not like this thing was like, you know, well, I spent eight months uh, writing it while we were getting everything together, and then, you know, I spent a lot of time on this script. It's like, no, you can tell he basically just cranked this one out from old ideas.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
1: And, he, and like you said, you know, I mean, and again, we're Shyamalan apologists, but he is not a very, he, he's not a great writer.
0: He Ooh. he wrote
1: one great script, and he's a good storyteller. Like so, we watched we rewatched Unbreakable last night, and Unbreakable really holds up. Yeah. There now, there are moments in it that are a little oh, this guy's believing uh, his own hype. I still but, think
0: the cinematography is the most noteworthy thing of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, cinematography is great. Honestly, Bruce Willis is better in that movie than people give him credit for.
0: Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. I think Bruce Willis in that movie is super great, and um. And actually, I, I, there was a lot to be wanted from his performance in Sixth Sense. Uh-huh. But after listening to Unspooled, the episode about Sixth Sense, a lot, I can look back on that movie a little bit more fondly. Yeah. Um. And I, I think Bruce Willis was great in this.
1: Yeah. Bruce Willis has two really great comfort zones that he lives in. He plays super cocky, like Die Hard, or I'm even going to say it, Hudson Hawk, very well. <laughs> you know, anything that's like a lot of like kind of over-the-top charisma Bruce Willis does that great yeah Bruce Willis also does wounded people so well
0: he really does one of my favorites I think one of the best like Bruce Willis I think um, coming together roles is his role as Elizabeth's dad and friends mm-hmm. when he's like super macho and super on top of it but then he's also this wounded warrior yeah and it's hysterically wonderful yeah and I think um so I think that's exactly Proves to your point that that's exactly what he's good at.
1: Right. And like, even if you think about like Sin City, which Sin City is just an over the top movie anyway. Totally. But his whole story in Sin City of this guy who basically lost everything for the sake of trying to save this little girl from uh, this powerful family. Yeah. and, And he's just like, nope, that's my lot. I've accepted it. Like, he's actually pretty good in that, you know?
0: Oh, I agree. Um,
1: now, when Bruce Willis shows shows up for a paycheck, you can always tell. You can tell. Yeah, The Expendables two, <laughs> where they had to get Arnold Schwarzenegger to say it, to say Yippee Ki Yay. It was not not good. Yeah, but um, but no, Bruce Willis I thought was really good in this, and he was good in Unbreakable. Now, going back to what we we're talking about with the Shyamalan screenwriting, Shyamalan, a lot of his scripts to me sound like they were first drafts. Um, Ooh, so,
0: that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, because yeah. he's putting
1: in a lot of exposition and a lot of uh, and a lot of explanation and l- just things like that and then he doesn't go back and think about how would an actual human being say this. Well, and it's just in the script is like, you know, they're basically reading off definitions of things. Yeah,
0: and I think the other thing too is then he has moments of greatness where he sho- he shows not tells you. There's moments of that. But then I also wonder because the editing of his movies are always really good. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering how much that his editor has to do with that because it's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Um. But, so, but I also think too, it takes a certain, it takes a certain perfect storm to cover up for his particular brand brand of not great writing. So let's take the end of Unbreakable for example. Okay. So the end of Unbreakable, uh, Samuel L. Jackson reveals that he was the one who orchestrated the three attacks and like killed like something like what six hundred people. Yes. And he's sitting there elated with himself while recognizing that it's like sacrifices. And then Bruce Willis goes and basically turns him in. The last line in the movie is Samuel L. Jackson saying, You know why? It's the kids, David. They called me Mr. Glass. And I'm sure the way Shyamalan wrote that... (laughs) I mean, and this is like the South Park version of Shyamalan, you know. And if he ever wants to come and talk to me about this, I'd love to. I'd love to talk with him about this. But uh, I don't think he cares. Um, but I'm. It, I can almost see him writing that at the end. is like, because of the kids, David, they called me Mr. Glass. Gross. You're yeah. fired. You're immediately fired. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but, but like the way Samuel L. Jackson did that he had tears in his eyes, because he didn't wake up one day wanting to kill a bunch of people, but he wanted to find his purpose. So in that moment, he, as, a, as an actor, he's reconciling those two things of, I did this wrong, and also, I'm so happy to know why I'm here. Right. And so to me, that was a line that could've easily just been, um, that could've easily just been like, a, you know, like, oh, and this is the badass moment of the movie. Right. But, but it's this really heightened emotional part and rewatching it again last night, it really hit me. You know, yeah. and I know he, it was Samuel L. Jackson who had a lot to do with Like pretty much everything to do with that. Right. But Shyamalan sets up a great story. He, oh, 100%. He just he's just not great with the dialogue.
0: No. Well, but even in the and in Glass, there's this he builds and builds and builds and then he has um Mr. Glass's mother literally state everything he's already built. Right. Built, 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 here, I'm gonna tell you anyway. And then it was like, oh, you ruined it. You ruined yeah, it. It's you the, could've
1: just let it be. It's the thing, Like I always go back to the Zombieland narration. In Zombieland 1, the narration is really, is, and they're doing another one, uh, but the narration is great throughout most of the movie then towards the end where things start coming together and you start knowing who the characters are and what their what their strengths and weaknesses are, yeah. the narration becomes redundant. And no more at a worse time is where this character who we've seen is terrified of clowns for the whole movie Uh, He has to go through the theme park filled with zombies to save his love interest and her sister. And then there's a clown zombie. Now, we as the audience are smart enough to understand this is him facing his biggest fear. And then the narration comes in and says, of course, it had to be a clown. It had to be a clown. I have to do this. And it it almost makes me shut the movie off every time I watch it. So that's kind of what what Mr. Glass's mother was doing in this movie. And she's a better actress. She should have had a more thankful role.
0: Oh, I totally agree. But there was was moments of that splattered throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your love. He needs a loving touch. It's like, we get it. Like, there's just things that was just like, it didn't need to be said. And the actress who's playing, uh, who was the actress who played the ther- psychiatrist? Uh,
1: Sarah Paulson.
0: Sarah Paulson. Sarah Paulson is
1: great. She's fantastic. And
0: she had to say these lackluster lines too. Yeah. It was. It was. It was frustrating. But the story, in and of itself, is is I I liked it, and I liked the ride that I went on. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed Samuel L. Jackson, James McAvoy, and Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. A great deal more. I feel like the movie was made by them. Yeah. Um. I think the uh, so a majority of the movie is in the in the psych, psych, psychiatric word, mm-hmm. and I feel like it was a disservice leaving it in there. I feel like could have built sooner. We could have gotten to what is the end of the movie, and then had a more impactful denouement. This was, it just kind of was like, "Ah, eh, eh."
1: well, I have, I have some very specific thoughts on the psych ward aspect of this movie. Okay. Um, Should I say them now or should I say them in spoiler spoiler? time? It's hard for me to say because the thing, the thing is guys, is that none of them have to do with the actual twist. And the thing is, is that, you know, what's happening in this movie based upon the previews. Uh, they oh, you show, do? yeah, they show a lot of the psych ward in the previews. They show some of the fighting in the previews. Does it
0: hand? Does it hand out all of its cards? You feel in the preview? Oh, definitely not.
1: And okay. I'll get to that in the spoiler territory. Okay. I mean, that's not necessarily a good thing, but
0: um, <laughs> we'll go ahead and talk about talk about it. And if it's too spoilery, then we'll just we'll let we'll let the fans know.
1: Yeah. So I tend to be very skeptical going into mental institution movies. Yes, um, they
0: have to be a special kind of cray cray,
1: right? So, like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest is is a great one.
0: Great, but it but it's not about them being crazy,
1: right? So, what drives me up the wall with mental institution movies is because typically there's somebody and there's like, I don't belong here, I don't belong here, and you just spend you spend the whole movie with them, basically telling the audience what they already know. It's a variation of the idiot plot that I talk about all the time on here. Yes, you know we already know they're not crazy, so all we're left is the is the uncomfortable feeling of watching them in a mental institution. Changeling, Changeling by uh, Clint Eastwood with Angelina Jolie. That's a big part of that movie. Is like you yeah. know she's not crazy, you know that's not her son, but they throw her in there anyway, and you spend the whole movie just feeling like really uncomfortable. Yes. And there's a place for feeling uncomfortable in movies, but like it's just too much for well, me.
0: Well, I feel like in this movie it made it stagnant.
1: Well, here's here's what I will say as a plus is that they didn't spend so much time on the psychiatrist being like, "No, you're not special. You know you're not special." Like, you know, like and then basically giving us the idiot plot. I was going into this whenever cuz I forgot that it was a lot of it set in the mental institution. Mm -hmm. I was going into this ready to feel super uncomfortable, and it didn't hit me as much as a lot of other movies will. So I'm saying that is a good thing. Gotcha. I feel like it just made the movie stall. It did make the movie stall, and they don't explain a lot, like the plot devices of them being in a mental institution, which we'll get to more in spoiler territory. Right. It never really explains any of that, and I think that with this stagnant as it made the plot go, there was time for them to explain certain specifics. Yes. And I think they were just expecting us to be like, oh, we're so engrossed that we don't care. It's like, no, guys, spend spend a couple minutes, you know?
0: Yeah, I just felt like it was a trope in order to see all of them. I feel like it was a trope to get the three main characters sitting in a row being their characters.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a trope for the poster.
0: Yes, and I I just, it smelled. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't love that aspect of it, and that's kind of where I was saying it was kind of teetering on the low side for me. Totally, okay. Um, Now, you know that this whole movie is building through a confrontation between the three characters, right?
0: I mean, it's a superhero movie, so yes. Yeah.
1: Now, what I will say, to to the credit of this, is that I loved how they kept it mostly close up and personal, the way that they shot it. Because when they did that, it felt, It it never felt epic, like, you know, the end of the first Avengers, you know? Right. But it felt, like, you know, raw, and it felt brutal, and it felt powerful. And then whenever they would do the wide shot, you kind of saw it how, like, anybody else would see it. It's like, oh, three three, uh, mentally ill people are fighting on the lawn. You know, two of them are old people, and they're just fighting each other. (laughs) And so... (laughs) So... Two of them are old people. (laughs) Yeah. But but they... uh, Whenever it was in the wides, it looked like it's just like, what's going? This is weird. What's going on out here? See,
0: I disagree because you've got like James McAvoy's like, animal run Mm -hmm. in that wide, and it was like, well,
1: that's one of the wides. There are a couple other places like where she's where she's, uh, talking like trying to keep everybody inside, and you see it through the window, where it just looks like oh. Why, why aren't they getting the fire hoses out? This is the, this is the scene where Jack Nicholson would have been sprayed with a fire hose. You I know? see. I see. So, and I thought it. Was, I, th- I actually thought. I'm not saying that is a bad thing because I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool how you see this whole thing from a different perspective and almost like it made it more important to the three of them than it did anybody else. That's fair. So I thought that was cool. Um, and I thought it was. I thought it was good the way that they shot everything up close. But there were definitely times where, kind of like a. Our friend who was in town the other night, uh, or we had two friends in town over the weekend, and one of them we watched the new Halloween together. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one thing I had mentioned, and I was a little inebriated at this point, Mm -hmm. is I was like, what I, it's the scene where Michael Myers, like, it's those single take of him, like, going through the houses and killing people. Mm -hmm. I was like, what I love about this is how terrifying and how simultaneously terrifying and as much of a doofus as it makes him look. Beca- oh, because yeah. like whenever he's walking through, he's not walking through with like a plan of like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. He's literally walking through and like looking over is like there's a thing I'm gonna go kill, you know? Right. So like and so like the two the two feelings aren't mutually exclusive. I just got that in that last fight scene. Gotcha.
0: I see that. Yeah. I guess you. I I didn't quite see how it could be seen through different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Like oh these are just crazy people and. Oh no! This is actually the battle of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I like that. That's cool. That I like that perspective. Yeah. Um, and then, what did you think of the the music and sound design for this?
1: Sound design, I thought was pretty good. Um, there I did were too. there were only a couple of places where me as a nitpicker, and I've been. I've been working on a horror movie where I've been doing the music, sound design, and the overall audio mix as well. So I'm still, like, really in that mode. There were only a couple places where I could be, be like, oh, they cut the audio right there. Right. Uh, but, like, nothing where, I, n- nothing where I was, like, judging it. It's just like, oh, I feel better about the times where I couldn't get it right, you know? Yeah. Um, the music I actually really liked. So uh, the music was done by a guy named West Dylan Thordson. Uh Okay. Who, who I first heard him because he did the music for The Jinx. Uh, love. Um, and he also did the music for Split. Now, he obviously didn't do the music for Unbreakable. James Newton Howard did that. Mm-hmm. And James Newton Howard did all of Shyamalan's movies from The Sixth Sense to After Earth. Okay. After After Earth, Shyamalan couldn't get a decent budget anymore. Yeah, because that was a huge budget movie and it was such a, it was a massive failure.
0: Oh, the, the marketing alone was a massive failure. Yeah.
1: Um, so Shyamalan came back a couple years later and did, uh, did, I can't remember what it was, The Visit, where it was like the found footage movie of the yeah. kids going to their grandparents. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, that's found footage, so it's not like there's, like, a score going on there. But then he, Split was the next one, and all of a sudden he wasn't working with James Newton Howard. And I think that's because both Split and uh, Glass were only, like, $20 million budgets. Okay. And I just think that he doesn't have the budget to afford James Newton Howard anymore. Gotcha. Um. So... You know, and then James Newton Howard's score for Unbreakable—it's not my favorite one he's ever done. Mm-hmm. It—it's a very dated score, like with like the electronic drums and everything like that. Yeah. Um, or maybe those are sampled drums. I don't know. But like, you know, it—it's got some decent themes in there. So what I thought Wes Dylan Thorson did very well. Uh, did I say Thordson? Yeah. Yes, you said right. Thorson. Cool. Sorry, it's a it's a the three names are sometimes hard for me to get out properly, and I would just had it in my head. I was like, did I just say swordsman? <laughs> and he said Thordson. All right. Um, what he does really well is he. So at the, he didn't have to reuse anything for Split, except for at the very end. And honestly, I think they just played a cue from Unbreakable whenever they saw uh David Dunn at the end of Split. Yeah. But he was—he did some pretty interesting weaving of themes and stuff in here, like not only from *Split*, but also a couple places from *Unbreakable*. Like, you, whenever we sat through the credits and we saw the songs. Um, they would have things on there like you know confrontation con- contains uh, contains um, you know carrying Audrey from Unbreakable you know right so like he did a really good job of weaving those through but honestly I just like the score you know yeah um, I thought I thought it had some interesting ambiences to it um, I do I would be very surprised if it was a real orchestra which you don't often hear in uh, in like studio releases right um, because. Because a uh, real orchestra obviously costs m- way more money, but that's the sound that we as an audience are accustomed to hearing. Yes. Um- I think a lot of like whenever you heard orchestral stuff, it was like sample libraries, because again, this is a 20 million dollar budget movie. There wasn't a huge budget for a 70 piece orchestra. No. Um, and you don't usually hear that because normally that's just what you do for demoing the score. But I thought that it worked well. And even the times where I was like, oh, that sounds kind of fake. It sounded fake with a purpose. So like I thought overall it was just really good. I liked it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I This one didn't like hit me or anything, so it's not like it really stood out to me. Yeah, Um, The stunt work on this was really fun and good. It was just a lot of dudes taking a lot of hard hits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, With some, with wire work Um, that was stunt coordinated by Manny Saverio, out of New York. Do you know Manny? Um, Not like personally, but uh, I always get responses when I send him submissions. All right, But he's out of New York and he only hires out of New York or surrounding areas. Um, So but I will say that, boy, there were a lot of dudes and dude stunt people and more dudes and dudes and dudes and dudes. like mm. there was not even a female cop. Shame on you all. Yeah, a plague on both your houses. I
1: think the only three females really in this movie uh, were um Sarah Paulson, uh, Mr. Glass's mom, and Anya Taylor Joy.
0: Yes, and victims. yeah. Shyamalan only writes women as victims. Even in The Village, she's a victim.
1: Uh, No.
0: She's a victim of her circumstances that happens to find freedom.
1: He loves women to be victims. All right, that's fair, and I'm not going to dispute you on that. That's just not the reading that I took from The Village.
0: Oh, no. No, The Village is a much better movie overall than that.
1: Yeah. But... Like, Like, the way that I read The Village is... That yes, she may be a victim of her circumstance, but she's also the most capable person there. Even before she has to do the thing that she's really afraid to do,
0: I can see that. I just, in order for her to stand up, she Shyamalan made her impaired.
1: Mm-hmm. I can. All right, I can. I can see where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, it's just frustrating.
1: Yeah,
0: um, and I just feel like I just want to shake the casting director.
1: Well, now all right. Here's here's another here's something I can say to that point though. Sure. During all my IMD being is that Doctor, I don't remember her name, Sarah Paulson. Yes. That character was originally written for a man.
0: Okay, so you get they get one tiny little star.
1: Hey, I'm I'm just saying I'm just saying we gotta give credit where credit is due.
0: Yes, I'm just thinking it it was it was very vanilla to watch.
1: Oh yeah, and on that note too. Almost everybody was white. Vanilla. Um, there's a new. There's a new trailer that came out uh, either today or yesterday. Um, it's called Yesterday. It's a new Danny Boyle movie. Okay. And it basically, I haven't watched the trailer, but the gist that I've gotten from it is like nobody remembers the Beatles except for one musician who knows all the songs. Okay. Uh, I, I need to watch the trailer and see what it's about but it's but like it's basically my Twitter timeline has been on fire with people retweeting it and everything but uh, Jamila Jamil from the good place talked about how uh, she was like, this is a huge step forward because it, it stars a South Asian actor in the lead in a movie that's not about being a South Asian person. Yeah,
0: it's so silly. Yeah. Um, but And and this is not to say, because I love ja- James McAvoy, and after watching his SNL, I love him even more. Uh-huh. I think he's an incredibly talented actor. I think Samuel L. Jackson shone brightly in this
1: movie. I mean, that, that first turn where he finally, like, snaps into focus.
0: Just the detail work that he did was incredibly great. Um, and Bruce Willis was great. We've already talked about him. So it's not saying that there's not a place. It was just, like, this is just overall cursory. It, like, I, it was just a lot of white vanilla stuff. Uh-huh. Um, and as And what the movie turns out to be, and this might be a spoiler, but I don't think so. It's an origin story. Yeah. And I thought that was cool, but then I felt like because there's not really gonna be another one if there is. Oh no, you know. So I I don't know if I want to see the M Night Shyamalan version of Avengers. This was it. This was the opportunity to do it, and he.
1: I feel like the just didn't go there. I'm ho- I'm hoping that. I'm hoping that when he says the word origin story, he meant more in a conceptual I way. hope so. Like in a spiritual way as opposed to, and now I get to make three more of these movies.
0: Yes, I liked the fact that it was, it was the fact that it wasn't a sequel. Yeah. That this is, that what we've been watching for the past 20 years is an origin story. And I love the idea of that. And I hope he stops. And yeah. <laughs> just stop.
1: And Night Shyamalan, Don't M. Night Shyamalan this. Yeah, shut it down. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, with that, shall we take a quick break and come back with loads of spoilers and even more purple drink?
1: Yes. Okay, great. So
0: go fill up your wine glass and we'll see you in a little bit. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you, you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back. You need to check out Rox Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rox, R-O-X. Rocks Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, Those Females Are Strong As Hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rocks Jewelry Shop online, and with code DATE NIGHT, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rocks, R O X Jewelry code DATE NIGHT for 15% off. Hello, and welcome back to Date Night at the Movies. So we're in
1: spoiler territory for Glass now.
0: Yes, um, so we've s- overall have given this movie three glass canes, um, and I think um, I I just, I, I overall enjoyed it, but I had many eye roll moments in this movie, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> And mostly, like, I think one of the biggest ones to me that was just like, bad writing, was uh, when they were talking about, like, the towers, and just the name was not creative. Osaka Towers. And here we are, the biggest opening day for Osaka Towers. Opening day, that's when everybody's going to be watching it. That's where we should fight. Like, that's what it (laughs) felt like. It was just like, oh, come on. By the
1: way... When has anybody, except for maybe Freedom Tower in New York, ever clamored around the opening of a tall building? They don't. Again, those are the times where you're like, has M. Night Shyamalan met another person? (laughs) (laughs) Like, he knows they don't talk like this, and he knows that they don't do this, right?
0: But it just felt,
1: I immediately knew,
0: because, I I immediately knew that they would never make it Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: of the bad setup.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, I do love the twist though that it wasn't about getting to the building yeah I like I liked that I thought that was clever
1: yeah um, I it also makes you realize also 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 sorry it makes you realize too how truly, Machiavellian and ends justify the means, uh, Mr. Glass was because, oh, yes. because whenever he knew that's the way it was going to happen, he never planned on, and you don't find this out to like the literally the last five to seven minutes of the movie that he never planned on making it out of there. So he was like, Oh, yeah, all three of us are gonna die, and I'm fine with that.
0: What I don't like about the ending of the movie is. I, I, just kind of how I I'm unsettled by the movie. Mm-hmm. The reason being is I kind of rooted for all three of them. Yeah. And then there's these stragglers, his mom, the girl, and the son. And they really just felt like stragglers, yeah, and that their purpose at the end was to reveal these superhero secrets. But yet they had mm. been hurt just as much by these superheroes, maybe a little bit less so Joseph, mm-hmm. uh, David Dunn's son, but then there's this girl who was traumatized in Split, just traumatized, and just because this person let her go, now she's best friends with them, well, and
1: uh, no! A, their purpose in the movie was to retweet.
0: And gross. Yeah. Disapproved.
1: Um, B that is something that i didn't quite see the connection into so like i knew and i knew it was going to go there the second she, her first big scene came up where she where she was told in the principal's office that you know he'd been captured and she's like i'm sure you've been thinking about it a lot too she's like yes i've been thinking about him a lot and it's like it's like where did that stockholm syndrome come from
0: right because it was not even remotely there in it,
1: split it, no in split it wasn't there um now I think they. She
0: was clever. Don't get me wrong. Well,
1: and they cover they covered it up a little bit by her wanting to go see him to tell her that she put her uncle in jail for molesting her, right? Um, which you know at the end like that was really ew, 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 r- ew. right, right? You know, I watched Split with Andy when I was in LA, and we were both during that whole scene. we were like, Ugh. But, but, um... but no, like her arc in Split wasn't even to escape it was to find the strength to tell somebody this is what's happening to me and I, that's one of the things that actually makes Split very good, and it's it definitely is one of his better movies. I
0: really like. Split. Yeah, and I,
1: she's really good in it too. Oh, Anya Taylor Joy is very good.
0: I totally agree. I just felt like she was an accessory. She was an earring right. in well, this
1: movie. Well, I mean, she was the David girlfriend in this movie, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but also, I mean, and it's okay that this. Multiple personality schizophrenic human being has a connection with her because mm-hmm. that's very appropriate. But this, like you said, the Stockholm syndrome came
1: from nowhere. Well, I think what they did what they did well, and this is again Shyamalan being a better storyteller than a screenwriter, is that is that whenever she, the scenes where she was talking to Kevin. Like the like his original personality, yeah. Like those are actually really good, and there was a good, great chemistry between them. And, oh, agreed. And like those scenes felt true to me, but the setup to those scenes did not feel true.
0: I hundred percent agree. Yeah. Hundred percent agree. In the moment, totally on board. Acting, yes. Build up, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah if the you
1: reasoning, if you no, if you macro this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But if you're just watching the movie, it's fine. Uh, sure. Um, if you're watching the movie and you're not analyzing it afterwards, it's fine.
0: It's at, uh I don't know. It really bothered me. You don't.
1: You don't have the ability to not analyze a movie. Neither of us do.
0: True, but I will say, like, um, at the beginning of every time they were like connecting, you know, mm-hmm. when they were really being true to each other.
1: How true are we going to be right now?
0: Like, we're really being true. We're really being. Like true. it took me thirty seconds at least to get into it because I was going, why. Why? Yeah, and then you know, then I fall into the rhythm of the scene and I'm fine. But it took me time, every single time, to be like, stop talking to the person that tortured you. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't do that because yeah. she also there wasn't there long enough to get Stockholm syndrome. Right. Uh, not that I'm an expert at that by any means. Well,
1: even even from the standards of screenwriting, you never see Stockholm syndrome get taken in that soon. I mean, even Belle spent Christmas with the Beast. You know.
0: Well, and he gave her a whole library. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that the beast did.
1: There's a lot of Stockholm syndrome going on in Beating and the yes, Beast, and but, it is earned.
0: It, but well, that's but that's it. I mean, you need some magic, you need Lumiere, you need all sorts of things to happen, and you need dancing food to make that happen.
1: I want to see Split with dancing food. Okay, <laughs> be weird. Um, we'll, we'll we'll film that one right after we do our slasher movie called Sorry to bother you. <laughs>
0: Um, so, I will I will say, it was really just their being there, I, I saw why Shyamalan wanted them to be. I just thought, wah, wah, wah. and that's also why I feel that this movie being, an, now knowing it was an origin story, how cool is that? How great of an idea is that? I feel like he took the easy route out and didn't X-Men First Class this and didn't let it build, build. Right. And uh, we didn't really get to see. A, just imagine that. Hopefully, pray to the movie gods. This, this is the last in this sequel. You know, we've gotten gotten to love these characters and now they're just dead.
1: Yeah. So and should we? A bunch of retweets. Should we talk about? what they mean by this is an origin story, because now we are in spoiler territories, and we can actually talk about that. Should, should yeah. we talk about the succession of twists in this movie? Sure. Okay. First twist is you find out the psychiatrist is really the bad guy all along.
0: Terrible twist.
1: Yeah. Uh, you find out that she's part of basically the Illuminati, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, and they have a weird three-leaf clover tattoo.
1: Yeah, and like, and it's weird, because you noticed this first, because so they... Sh- so one thing I will say I really I thought was cool, and they did this in Split, too, is they talk about how Kevin's like, physiology changes between, uh, between each personality, and how they had like the veins disappear from him whenever he went from the beast back to Kevin. Right. But of course, what that signifies, too, is that now he can be killed. And so one of the cops shoots him in the abdomen. Yes. Uh, and then whenever it goes back, you see like that little three-leaf clover tattoo on his wrist. And you were like, are we supposed to know who that is? Uh, and I was like, I don't know. And then you were like, I think the tattoo is trying to tell us something. And then we find out at the end that she, the doctor has the tattoo and that, you know, basically while they're drowning Bruce Willis, and we're sitting here wondering, why are the cops drowning Bruce Willis? You know, uh, she lets him touch her, and that shows, like you know, that shows the society that's apparently supposed to keep the superheroes out of the out of the existence. Right,
0: but they're gonna kill him, and mm-hmm. then she's like, "Did I almost convince you? Did I do it? Did well, I almost do it?" Here's the
1: thing. So, like the way that you're saying that, I feel that most people are gonna take that as you know, like you know, like reveling in it's like I almost fooled you. No, <laughs>
0: I felt it was weak sauce.
1: Right. Well, that that's the thing. You describing that describes it in a way that's better than the way that it was.
0: It was pee-poo.
1: It, it was her describing it like, you know, please tell me that I almost did this right. Tell me I did a good job. No,
0: but it's just like, I, I, I have my best interest at heart. It's like, shut up, bitch.
1: <laughs> I do, just, do we edit that word out?
0: I don't remember, but we, I don't know, but I was mad at her. I <laughs> was mad and i was just like this is lame and like it just felt like all of a sudden this is a baseball movie that's how out of left field it felt and therefore a terrible twist
1: yeah it it was not a good twist so basically her organization for 10,000 years has been killing superheroes uh, or like people with superhuman strength yes and assassin's creed th- yeah and they're like and she's trying to convince them that if she can if she can just convince these people that they're delusional then they don't have to kill anybody. So that's her goal. Um, right. But like, as, as come they, on. As they kill three of them.
0: Right. And how many others has she, has she killed yeah. and been a part of killing? She's hiding behind the stupid police truck, mm-hmm. letting this all happen. Not, there's no remorse. And then when she goes, did I almost convince you? Yeah. Did it, I do it? It's
1: not good writing. I
0: wanted to drop kick her face. In if, that moment, if they
1: would so that's whenever again spoilers they kill Bruce Willis they kill all three of them. Yes. Um, if they weren't gonna kill him by drowning him like that, then I think it would have worked better. But the fact that they were like, "Wait, stop this drowning!" That like I'm assuming all the cops had that tattoo on them. Either that, or they were just some of them being like, "Oh, just a guy drowning an old man." I'm gonna keep smoking this cigarette. But like, it was like, "Let's stop this intense drowning," so I can be like, "Did I do a good job?"
0: It was monologuing. Yeah.
1: And it's just bad writing.
0: She monologued him.
1: Um, and then they set up where she was hiding behind the cop car right after they shoot James McAvoy. I think that in their minds, they were setting that up as being like, oh, she's letting this happen. But she played that as like, this has all gotten way out of control and I can't believe that the cops are here right now. Yes. So that that didn't really, it didn't really foreshadow anything to no, me.
0: No, it just felt like the end, I just if that had happened earlier in the movie and... They could have all... Also, it made them not super. Yeah. It immediately made them like, don't kill him just in a puddle. Kill him with Chinese water torture.
1: Yeah. Like, do something interesting. Like, Kevin Wendell Crumb got a goodbye with Casey. um, Where, you know, Kevin came to the light. And, you know, like, his main personalities got got to all come to the light for, like, one last goodbye. And by the way... He went from nine personalities in Split to 19 personalities in this movie. So good. James McAvoy is the best.
0: He also, he allows in those, and we'll get back to our actual point, Yeah. but you see, and this is when I wish I had a connection to, to him, because for him to talk about what it is like... He let all of those transitions really happen. He doesn't rush through them, and he doesn't let the moment die, and he doesn't exhale to let the energy drop. He his transitions to these creatures and these characters are masterful. Yeah, they are so good. I
1: still say he got robbed. Uh, v- robbed for the year that split came out because he like there was no awards love for him there, and I.
0: It's all because of M.I. Chimelon.
1: Oh, and the fact that it's a January movie, too.
0: Right, but that sucks, because his ability to navigate all of that yeah. takes so much work. Yeah. Like, the amount of... You can't just walk in to the space one day and just do that. Right. That takes a great deal of homework. That's that's Shakespeare... That's what doing Shakespeare is like. Uh-huh. And... Then, but he's also not doing Shakespeare. He's doing Shyamalan with not a very good script. So he's having, I mean, the, uh, well, the acting and the level of commitment and understanding who each of those people are, mm-hmm. masterful. Yeah. Yes, masterful. But like you said, he got to say goodbye at the end of the movie. Dunn was just killed.
1: Yeah, so he got a goodbye and most of his main personalities got a goodbye. And that that scene was pretty good. Uh Mr. Glass got a goodbye and With his mama. Yeah, and that was pretty good. Uh in fact, it was really good. And then they just drowned Bruce Willis and didn't give him so much as a reaction in shot. In a puddle. Yeah, just in a puddle. In a pothole. I don't know if that was supposed to be like you know. Well, what I'm really trying to describe here is how the city of Philadelphia is not taking care of their infrastructure.
0: <laughs> Can you please send them to the San Fernando Valley? Yeah. So, but I, it just sucked. Yeah. And and then it immediately made them not seem super.
1: Yeah. Well, and I know what it was they were doing. They were doing is that every every one of them was killed by their. By their characters, kryptonite, you know. Yes, uh, what a puddle. the The horde the horde was killed by the fact that they they really are just a regular guy. If they're not, if the right personalities aren't in control, uh, Mr. Glass was killed because you know, basically, I'm pretty sure his bones just shattered into his heart.
0: I be- I believe they shattered and hurt his internal organs. Yeah. Yes,
1: and then you know, Bruce Willis. Uh, David Dunn was killed by drowning which has been very well established as his kryptonite but again like you say the fact that it was a puddle in a pothole I did not love
0: it just it just sucked and it and it, the movie I felt like the movie had the potential to go just another step further and I don't know what that step is but it just felt like it was
1: just like wah, wah, wah. yeah it's like so LA Confidential yes um I don't, it's been a while since even I've watched it just because of Kevin Spacey. Right. Um, but Great movie, though. Yeah, fantastic movie. The way that his character is killed in the movie, like, you know, he actually gets like an on screen death. Like, you know, uh, the police, spoilers for LA Confidential, 20 year old movie. The police <laughs> chief, chief kills him and then he says like one word that ends up helping uh, Guy Pierce solve the case later on. Yes. But like he gets to say there, he gets to take his last breaths and he gets to say that word and he just dies. And you actually feel that, and it lets the moment land. In the book, which I don't think you finished the book, did you?
0: No, I got bored. The the
1: book is not an easy read. Mm-mm. Literally, he he gets killed in a big shootout that doesn't happen in the movie. And the only way they describe it is Jack Vincennes caught one in the face, and then you move on. So, like, if you were speed reading, you might miss that that character got killed. Gotcha. Um. That's close to what they did here, and I think that the movie wouldn't have teetered so far into the two, two and a half range if they would have... Like For the most part, Bruce Willis is just sitting in a cell. He has stuff to do at the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. For the most of the movie, it doesn't really focus on him, so the least that they could do at the end of the movie was to give him something big to do and give give him a proper goodbye. Because we've been people have been waiting to see this character for almost twenty years,
0: right? And then his son, who was pivotal in all of this, mm-hmm. was the reason he was be, to be able to be the overseer. Yeah, was because of his son. And his son doesn't even get a goodbye. Like, yeah, they, like if you're gonna set up the trill or the the trio of goodbyes, the son gets one. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, like, I, it just it felt lackluster and um the beginning was really exciting of the beginning of this movie was so exciting then we lulled into the psychiatric ward in which they're not being mistreated they're not being treated badly it's not like a halloween like a rob zombie halloween kind mm-hmm. of deal right they're being treated pretty decently and it just felt like Vanilla, vanilla, vanilla. And then the cops are called. Oh, wait, it's the Illuminati? What? And then, but wait, what? That wasn't even ever a problem. Yeah. So, and then, like, and we've known about the overseer. The overseer has been on the streets being a vigilante for 19 years. Yeah. And now you guys come? Now, you've just now come. There's not even been word that there's somebody out there trying to kill superheroes. And then out of it, just is baloney.
1: Yeah. I would almost be willing to forgive that part because, from a plot standpoint, she didn't come until there was somebody out there who, with super, seemingly superhuman powers, was killing a bunch of teenagers. And that creates a big scene. And this is only supposed to take place like three weeks after Split.
0: Right. I did know um, that. But, but that's but, still what, 17 years after?
1: Right. But what I'm saying is that, like, and she even said, I would have, I wanted to leave you alone. Uh, Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, she said... Well, I must have been fuming by that. Yeah, part. it's during the monologuing part. Oh, gross! Okay. But but even then, she says that you know we're not bad. We don't kill good people. We don't kill bad people. We do we do it to both of them. Uh, so the fact that she's like, I wanted to leave you alone, but we do it to both of them. It's like, well, you've been you guys have been doing this for ten thousand years, so like you're not just going to pick this one random guy to leave alone. No. Um, I, I don't I don't know. I mean, again, we're. It sounds like we're being really hard on this movie. I still think that even after this discussion, I'm still right at a three, because the parts of it that were good were really good. But the whole Illuminati thing, that was a little psychiatrist from the new Halloween movie to me.
0: Oh, agreed. I will say the reason that I remotely like this movie is because I just loved watching the three main actors. Mm -hmm. I thought they were just... I thought they were mesmerizing. I thought they were amazing.
1: Yeah, the performances are really good, and the three main supporting characters are really good yes, too. Yes, I guess there's four of them, including Sarah Paulson. Yes, I,
0: and I, I agree with that. And there's so other supporting roles. The, just the acting in general, even for the what would be considered the you know still supporting roles, but like the wards in the psychiatric unit. Mm-hmm. Um, just in general, there's a lot of there's relationships and it's great, and I just wish they kind of existed in a different or a slightly heightened universe.
1: Well, I think Shyamalan just in general needs a co-writer.
0: I think, and I think that he does suffer from oh, I love my first draft. Yeah, um, and I you know I highly doubt it's only one draft. Um, I wouldn't be shocked to learn that it was, but. Um, and these, if these are first drafts, they're very, very good first drafts. Yeah. But that all being said, I feel like there's just a lot of room for more. And it's just kind of a big bummer to so, not get more.
1: So that was the main twist that we didn't like. The other twist is the fact that this, he, you know, because you hear it from Mr. Glass's mother because she's in the thankless role of having to explain to the audience the things that we've already figured out. Lord have mercy. But she describes this as a limited edition fight. Which would be like, you know, like, what if Spider-Man and Doctor Doom had it out finally? You know, like, you know, bringing people from different worlds. Right. And then she asked him, she's like, you know, you had all this, as, as Mr. Glass is dying, you had all this planned out. You told me this was limited edition. This isn't the way that those end. And he said, because it's not a limited edition. It's an origin story. And I'm going to take that as of now before they decide to do Unbreakable 4.
0: I'm going to kill someone. Right. Right.
1: As like it's a spiritual origin story because the big thing that happens at the end is again the three sideline characters. Their whole point is to retweet, and uh, and they basically convoluted story. Somehow Samuel, L- this is what I was talking about why they didn't how they didn't explain things. How does Samuel L. Jackson have a private server after being locked up for seventeen years
0: in his mom's house? Yeah, on a very old
1: Mac. Right, and then uh, how is he how is he getting out? like like they explained how he didn't get like laser lobotomy because you know he he escaped out of there and he took the reflecting glass out of there but how is he actually getting out of his room without a key
0: I have no idea
1: and how is he opening up other rooms without a key magic yeah and why is it that he don't like if there were if this movie was just kind of fan service which you know Unbreakable 3 at this point would kind of be considered fan service that's fair. Why wasn't there a point where he had an actual confrontation with David Dunn?
0: Right. Where's the magneto?
1: Yeah. Wh- why? Like, because I know why he went in and talked to Kevin Crumb, but why uh, wouldn't he go in and say something to David?
0: And he just does it on a microphone. Yeah. And uh, and and this
1: is fan service. The fans want Mister Glass and David Dunn to have a show off. Right. Because Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. When did they not have good chemistry? Agreed. Um. But uh, the other twist in this movie, which to me isn't really even a twist, they treat it like a twist. But if you were paying attention in Split, then uh, this isn't a twist. Is that Kevin's father was on the same train as David Dunn? Right. Which, if you were... which
0: I had kind of forgotten from Split. I've not seen Split as recently as you, so yeah. I didn't remember that. But I wasn't like what?
1: But like it, it totally makes sense because the, even the way. All right, let's say even if you're just watching it self-contained in this movie. Mm-hmm um they do it where uh, where David Joseph uh, David Dunn's son is researching him and then he looks up he you see him like type in his father's name and he's like what and then it cuts you don't see what it what uh he sees and then Elijah gets into his files and sees his father's name and does that and you you don't see what that is well if two out of the three, characters stories are like you know wow this is crazy and you're like well what brought these two characters together the train oh okay so they both reacted to his father his father was on that train yeah so like to me like they played that like it was a huge twist I don't think I don't think that it would have been a bad thing if they had just mentioned that in the movie
0: well Shyamalan suffers from he doesn't allow his characters to know things the audience knows Mm mm-hmm and that's a bummer because it feels like he doesn't trust us as an audience. Right. And um moreover, he doesn't allow his characters to be smart. Mm. So there was a way to discover that in a different way. Yeah. And it not be so stupid. It felt stupid mm-hmm. even though it was it was interesting to, it was interesting to see Kevin waved goodbye to his father and then see the woman walking down the aisle yeah. again and seeing 20, you know, 20 years younger Bruce
1: Willis. Well, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool and and that was done really well because that looked like it was all filmed on the same day.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like it was a little bit of editing with I, original footage.
1: No, I mean, that, that was the original footage. Yes. But they, they did splice in the new footage with that, and it looked organic is what I'm saying.
0: Oh, t- yes. So, um, and that's another thing that I have extreme praise for, for Milan and his team. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I didn't look up if he works with the same DP.
1: Uh, This is the same DP he worked on with uh, Split.
0: Is it the same from Unbreakable? I don't
1: think so. Well,
0: here's one thing I will say. Um, If you watch Unbreakable again, the cinematography in it is unique and wonderful. And one thing that I like about the choices that Shyamalan makes that his cinematographers make happen um, is the stillness of his shots. Mm -hmm. He He allows the performers the space to do their work. And in really creative ways. And I, f- I feel like what you were saying earlier is him as a storyteller is great. And um, me as a director really resonates with shots that isn't always. Wide, mid, close-up, close up, wide, mid, close-up, close-up, which is how you have to shoot an episodic. Mm -hmm. But for film, when you are able to encapsulate a story in its time, I love when you're able to really feel a story. Um, and it's and it's in the way that it's shot. And I think that Shy Milan and his work with his DPs is masterful at that.
1: So so yeah, he his DP for uh I just looked at it and I can't remember the name, but his DP for Unbreakable is the same one, like, you know, he's been nominated for a couple of Oscars. He did like Blood Diamond. so he's done like some prestige movies. Yeah. The guy who did this one, who did Split as well, he also was the cinematographer. He's a younger guy. He was the cinematographer for It Follows. And appara- oh. apparently that's why he wanted to work with him on Split. Uh, but like Shyamalan also worked with like Roger Deacons on The Village. Um so so, he, but he's got that makes
0: total sense. Yeah,
1: but he's got a really good eye for camera, and he's got a really good eye for cinematographers. Now, moving this episode on a little bit, let's. I want to talk about some of the uh, connections that they had to Unbreakable and Split. Okay. Um, so we've already talked about how uh, Kevin Wendell Crumb's father was um, was a victim on East Rail 177, which Bruce Willis was the only survivor for. Yes. Um, And another thing they gave it away is after Split came out, and then everybody's like, oh, wow, this was for Unbreakable? Then uh, they were like, yeah, we're going to do a third one. They started calling it the East Rail 177 trilogy. So I'm like, well, neither Samuel L. Jackson or Bruce Willis was really in Split. So obviously that means that whenever he lays flowers at the train, that was because his father died on that same train, you know? So again, that wasn't as clever as it could have been. And maybe that's something to be said to the marketing team as opposed to the filmmakers.
0: That's fair. Um, I didn't see any trailers for this. Right. Whatsoever. Um, I've been uh, really out of town. And yeah. uh, um, I, so I complete, I, I missed everything. But I mean, I saw that coming.
1: Yeah. Um, so in other ways, so in Unbreakable, whenever he's going through and he's like first learning his powers of like whenever he touches people, you can kind of sense some of the things that they've done. And then he does that to M Night Shyamalan's cameo in Unbreakable. Yes, because uh, he thinks he's stealing drugs. Well, that also means um, that also means that. Uh, and then the same the same guys in this movie. Yes. Uh, buying the cameras. He was like, yeah, the building that I work at, somebody was killed there. And he's referring to the psychiatrist from split. Mm-hmm. He's like, everybody's freaked out. So I need to get some new cameras in there. And then he recognizes, uh, Bruce Willis. And it was just like, Oh yeah, you used to work down at the stadium, right? Yeah. I used to run with a bad crowd. I'm cleaned up now though. So that means that he's played the same character in all three movies. Yes. Uh, so that was a connection. Another thing. So you know, there's a uh, there's a moment in Unbreakable where whenever he's first like touching people, and then there's the mother with the with the kid, um, and then he as she walks by, she he can kind of hear her like oh, yell is that and supposed slap. To be Kevin. Apparently so.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh huh. Okay, that's fun.
1: Yeah that that's a that's oh, a li- good one.
0: Oh, I
1: like that. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh, see, there was. Another thing. Oh, um, so you know, there's a scene in this movie where he talks to his son, and it's like a flashback, and like, and it's the chat because the same actor plays the son in this movie, who played the son in Unbreakable. Which I love. Yeah, uh, but it's a flashback to when he was younger, and then he was talking to him. And he's like, you know, I'll keep your secret. Don't worry. And then he's just like, a lot of a lot of bigger guys at the gym than me could have lifted more than that. And then he's just like, you could have lifted more. That's apparently a deleted scene from Unbreakable. No. Uh. Yeah.
0: Oh, that was. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Now I will say I, I- kind
0: of felt like it might have been, but yeah. I'm glad to know that it was, and I'm glad to know that I was right.
1: Yeah. Well, and at first, because I thought it sounded kind of like uh, it sounded kind of like oh. Uh, female voiceover artist uh, on the kid's voice. I can see that. Because it kind of sounded like Kelsey Walmer to me whenever we did her oh. voice for uh, the movie That Shall Not Be Named. Okay. Um, but I think it actually was him. I just think I wasn't ready to hear the child's voice oh, asleep interesting. and everything. Oh, well,
0: that's cool. I, You know, I had wondered that. Uh-huh. And then, you know, we just watched Unbreakable, so I was like, did I... Did I, like, I take a nap during that part? Like,
1: no, <laughs> so. no, you, you didn't. So th- I thought that was pretty cool. That's and cool. then, of course, in the beginning of the movie, when you see Audrey's back, I guarantee you that wasn't Robin Wright Penn. It was 100% not her. <laughs> yeah. Considering that she doesn't turn around and everything. Yeah, it's a,
0: but also, um, I, I, I didn't mind that she didn't because she was the... F- it made sense knowing that um, she was she had died, mm-hmm. um, that, it was, that she wouldn't turn around. It's because it was a dream. Yeah. So she wouldn't turn around, you know, because she wasn't there to answer. Yeah. But I do like the idea, though, that they did repair the relationship, which you can get... From this film.
1: Well, so here's another thing. So at, that's at the beginning of the movie. And, you know, he's like, Audrey, I need to tell you something. Audrey, and she never turns around. I thought that that meant that he told her what he was doing and she left him. But they never really mentioned that.
0: I think because he kisses his ring towards the end. Mm-hmm. And they, she had died of a very severe case of leukemia. Mm-hmm. I think she they repaired the relationship, but she died.
1: Yeah. I, that's the way I would like to take it.
0: That's how that's how I took it.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not really finding anything else interesting, IMDb wise or even Wikipedia wise on here. And of course, they're both one and the same. I I, <laughs> I guarantee you, I could read something in here and it would have been like Bruce Willis is from Mars, but Samuel L. Jackson is from Venus. Isn't that interesting? And it'd be like you know, 48 out of 49 people found this interesting. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So I mean. I think, that, I think that we're kind of getting in the point where we're talking in circles. I agree. Or, or we're at least about to get on that track. So,
0: would you tell someone, if someone came up to you and were like, oh my gosh, you are Jordan from Date Night at the Movies, should I go see Split?
1: And I'd be like, how do you recognize me? <laughs> no, I would tell you to go see Split. Um, I could see myself wanting to watch this again, probably more as a rental than actually go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think that this is, I think this is overall a pretty good movie. I think that if you can expect, like, again, I went into this not necessarily being like, oh, we're going to see a Shyamalan movie, but I'd, again, I'd forgotten that this was a movie that takes place in a mental institution, which always irks me. So I went into this, almost my expectations were lowered because of that. So oh, okay. because of that, I was already in the mindset of being like, I'm willing to forgive some things. Okay. And the fact that it didn't just irk me, the fact that it took place in a mental institution, that made me a little more forgiving of other things, I think. So I think this one to me is gonna stay at a solid three. Okay. Which three out of five is pretty good, that's still above average. Um, that's still something I would recommend this, to people to see. Um, I do think that Unbreakable is fantastic. I think Unbreakable, it's already starting to be seen as like a classic. And I think give it a few more years, and it's really going to be seen as like an underrated classic. Yeah, I
0: can see
1: that. Uh, Split I think is great. It's a very different movie than Unbreakable, but I like I almost had the same level of enjoyment for both of them. The adult in me likes Unbreakable more, uh, but mm. Split is a great horror movie.
0: I love Split. Yeah, I love Split.
1: Um, I'm, but I mean, as as I get older, I like movies about sad people. So Unbreakable speaks to me. Uh, but, but yeah, I do think that this, out of the three of them, is the weakest one. Yes, I agree. But I think that there's enough to like about it to where I wouldn't say, don't go see this movie. How about you?
0: Um, I would tell people to go see it. Um, I, I would especially tell those who don't like M. Night Shyamalan to go see this, because I think this was a success. It makes me want to go, because we had just watched Unbreakable again, because I hadn't seen it in so long, um, it just makes me want to go watch Split again. Yeah. Um. Again, I do think this is the weakest, but I would tell the M. Night Shyamalan haters, hey, go see this. But you have to have seen Unbreakable in Split.
1: Yeah, you, and this is not going to be the movie that changes your mind about Shyamalan. Oh no, no! Honestly, Split was the movie that changed people's minds about Shyamalan.
0: Yes, this just reminded them why they don't like him.
1: Yeah, th- and I read, I try, I didn't read any reviews of this beforehand. I tried to stay pretty spoiler free beforehand, uh, but a lot of things that people were saying is that this movie is this movie has some great moments in it, but it does showcase all of M Night Shyamalan's weaknesses, and I will agree oh, with that.
0: It it. It, and not only does it 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 illuminates them yeah which is unfortunate because there was a lot of success in this movie there was just it I can see myself this going to like a two and a half yeah over time um, I would like to give it space and then watch it again yeah we should um, do a
1: we should do an all three sometime
0: maybe on different days because too much shine on in your soul a little bit <laughs> of your soul dies um, m- mainly because unbreakable and split are so, are really good um and then this one it takes these characters that you've come to really like and love in a weird sick way because they're so imperfect that because like you even root for James McAvoy in Split, and you shouldn't because he's the bad dude. Well, he's the he's the horror villain. Well, that's the
1: interesting thing about that character though, and the way that he plays him is that there are enough. There's enough going on within him that you can still root for it. Like I rooted for Kevin to make it out okay. I rooted for Barry to make it out okay. There was a part of me that rooted for Hedwig to make it out okay. Oh, you know,
0: poor Hedwig. Hedwig just doesn't know any better. Yeah, he's nine.
1: He's nine forever. I thought that that was a great moment with uh, with oh, Mr. Glass and what's Hedwig. What's superhero? Yeah, and he's like, well, you're nine forever, right? So you see the world as it actually is. How amazing is that?
0: I loved, and again, that's why I think the trope of them being in the the ward. Every time they all three really talked to each other or were with each other, it was so magnetic. Mm-hmm. And just imagine if they were like. Almost in a, it, the movie Kickass. What if they had been like a trio for a hot second? Yeah, and it devolved all because of Mister Glass. Yeah, just imagine that. Mm-hmm. Or Miss or Dunn realizes. Oh my gosh, I've been doing bad things. Like just imagine if it had put in a little bit more of a superhero realm, just a little bit more. Because it's, it's not a traditional superhero movie, nor do I want it to be. And it could have still been an origin story, but with just a little bit more superhero. I mean, Mr. Glass got to be back in his superhero suit, in his super suit. They all three got to be in their super suit. Mm-hmm. I do find it very annoying that James McAvoy had to take off a shoot, shirt every time he was the Beast. Yeah, I got annoyed at that. I feel like that was a lazy excuse, being like, "Here comes the beast," and he like has to Hulk out of his shirt. Well,
1: you see, what I was trying to accomplish here is showing how he's going back to his basic animal instincts. i like, really? They want to shoot you just for saying that out loud. <laughs> well, I mean, let let's listen to the director's commentary and see if he actually says that. I'm willing to give him more credit that he didn't. A- he won't actually say that.
0: Oh my gosh, if he does, though.
1: Uh-huh. Oh my. Oh. Oh no. But now, at yes. The, at the end of the day. I liked this movie.
0: I like this movie.
1: I really think that M. Night Shyamalan should find a co-screenwriter who he can trust. Oh, yes. And I think that if he does that, he has the ability to do another classic movie.
0: Oh. He, uh, I mean, so many of his movies are classic. Well,
1: Sixth Sense is a classic, and even knowing the twist, that movie still holds up. Oh, agreed. Um, Unbreakable, I, people are finally now starting to give it its due. Yes. Um, I'm an apologist for Signs in The Village. Yes. Uh, then, you know, he had the dark period. And, and again, <laughs> even The Happening, I'm pretty certain that he knew that The Happening was just a B-movie and he treated it as such. I hope so. Um, that That's what I'm willing to think. Because if you
0: know it's a B-movie, then it's fun.
1: Yeah. But I think that if he had somebody who he could be like, listen, here's the story I wrote. I think it's really strong. I just need to help with the polish on the dialogue. And I think that I can trust you to help me get where I need to go. And he found somebody who he could actually partner with uh, yeah, like let's have Eric Roth co write M. Night Shyamalan's next movie or Tony Kushner. Oh my gosh, a Kushner
0: Shyamalan movie that would be the greatest <laughs> mind blow of all time. So, Ooh, no, no, he needs to partner with Tracy Letts.
1: A Tracy Letts M. Night oh, Shyamalan, movie. those
0: kids because Shyamalan has messed up characters, mm-hmm. Tracy Letts has messed up characters, but they are rooted in a deeper truth than Shyamalan's characters are. Yeah. And Tracy Letts is a masterful of weird plots. hmm I mean, he made an entire script on people sitting down at dinner. Yeah. And that won Oscars. And I, that won Tonys.
1: I I would, I would love to see that. That's August Osage County, by the way. I, I know. I'm, I'm also thinking... No, that was
0: for our listeners, for those who may not know Tracy Letts very well.
1: <laughs> uh, I... I wouldn't it have been interesting to see M Night Shyamalan direct Killer Joe. Oh no!
0: Oh, I don't know. Oh,
1: I don't know. I I think M Night Shyamalan wouldn't have had the patience to be as quick as Killer Joe needs to be.
0: Ooh, yes, agreed. Because
1: M Night Shyamalan, what you can say about him, especially as a director, and again, I think that like I'm, if I were his college professor right now, mm-hmm. I would give his screenwriting abilities like a C. Yo, yes. Mo- mostly because like it's like I know you can do better.
0: Well, um, I would give him a C too because he doesn't he lets wonderful things live, but then he just crash courses around it yeah. instead of letting it live and then building off of it.
1: Well, but for his directing ability, I would give him a solid B plus A minus because yeah. Shyamalan is a very patient director, but because of that, he also doesn't handle the quick stuff very well. Yeah. So like, and we were talking about this a little bit today uh, in Unbreakable, so. Bruce Willis goes in and he uh, frees the kids from having the wires wrapped around their, their yes. uh, wrists. And he goes to try and help the mom. And, yes. then they, and then the killer throws him out the window in the pool. And the kids help him out of the pool. Whenever he goes back up, you see... And I, I remembered this scene very differently from whenever I rewatched the movie. So you see the killer is just looking at the mom. You find out later that it's the corpse... Uh, which is a good reveal in that movie. But he's drinking a beer and he's just spitting beer at her through his two front teeth, uh, just on the corpse. So nasty. I, I remember that as like that being a moment where there was no music, just the sound of the rain, and literally just him like just doing it and just like staring at her, almost like you would find in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. of like, you know, this is just this guy in his element. And it was really creepy. And then, whenever we rewatched it last night, he only does that once and immediately goes into that weird slow motion buildup of Bruce Willis like sneaking up behind him. To me, if he would have extended that scene out to two or three times as long, like that, and have that actually build up, like that would have been a masterful, like Hitchcockian scene.
0: Yeah. But however, it would have dropped in intensity mm-hmm. because that scene was a build.
1: Well, but that's the thing. To me, to me the build felt rushed. He, oh, I disagree. I, I I just think the build felt rushed. And that's more what I'm talking about is where like he doesn't have the patience to... He, he's very patient, but whenever things need to build and move like that, I, he, I don't think he quite knows how to crack See, that. See, the
0: reason why I think this time I have to disagree with you is because the that alone stuck with you. Yeah. And therefore... Took its time. Well, it it, do, it doesn't have to be. I I disagree with being two to three times longer. Well, that may be of, a bad
1: way to describe it.
0: But. but but the image itself with just one time impacted you that much.
1: Well, but what impacted me was the way that I was remembering it differently.
0: Oh, but that but it was still influenced by the original thought. That,
1: that's true. I still think that I still think that that scene in particular could have had a lot more could have had a lot more of a build up to Bruce Willis finally being triumphant in that movie. Fair enough. That is, that is my rightly or wrongly. That is my stance on it. Totally fair. All right. Well, we are about, we are really just diving into Shyamalan filmmaking. I right know. Now. And
0: we're going to spare you all uh, <laughs> because we could do that. And that's not good. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us back, and happy Valentine's Day, um, and if you're listening to this way in the future, hope you're having a wonderful day from Date Night at the Movies headquarters. Happy
1: Flag Day, everybody. <laughs>
0: happy Flag Day. Uh,
1: um, yeah, we're we're going to get back into doing this uh, as weekly as possible yes. from here on.
0: And if you haven't already, we really love when you reach out and tell us what you like. Um So make sure you have subscribed and rate and review us. We do read those reviews. Thanks to someone recently who gave us a really great tip on Instagram of what you'd like to see. We're listening and we'll we will deliver. Um, So we're excited to be connecting with you more and on a personal level. And we're so excited that you're for those of you who've been on with us on this ride and we're excited to give you more.
1: Yeah, um. Yeah, if you guys have any movies that are coming out again, we don't. We're not really getting excited about movies really until mid March at this point. I think yeah. like that's when the movies that we actually want to see or we know that you guys want to see are going to come out, like Captain Marvel, uh, us, you know, some movies like that. Um, but if there are movies in January, February that you want to see, let us know. Like there's a new horror movie that just came out called the prodigy. I don't know anything about it, but I'm usually game for those types of movies, but we decided to go see glass instead because based upon how we're seeing you guys, uh, respond to what it is that we're doing, you know, we're trying to give you more of that. So if there's anything that we're not touching on and you actually would like to hear us do, uh, let us know, let us know. Um, So,
0: with all that being said, thanks for joining us this week. Whoa, I butchered that. Thanks for joining us this week.
1: (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week.
0: Well, y'all, y'all, I really have not been drinking at all. I had a teeny bit of wine. (laughs)
1: whoa man it's just where we are (laughs) it's just where we
0: are alright so thank you so much for joining us here at Date Night the Movies I'm Jess
1: I'm Jordan we'll see you next time